Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Modern Adventurer podcast, where adventurers and explorers tell their stories. Coming up what is beauty you know over there beauty means filing your teeth and they would sort of ask us well what's you know what's beautiful in your country what do you do and uh, and we had got into a really interesting conversation where we explained well that some people actually make a cut underneath their boobs and they put things in there to make their boobs bigger and they were just horrified they were absolutely horrified that we would do something like that or that there's people that would inject things to make their lips bigger or like that we would pour hot wax on our bits, our, our intimate bits of hair and rip it out. I mean, they just couldn't believe that. They thought it was the mo- most barbaric thing they'd ever heard. I'm John Horsfall. I'm an adventurer. And here each week, I will be talking to adventurers and explorers from around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years. From Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders, and many more. I hope this podcast sparks ideas and inspires you to explore and go on your own grand adventure. But before we start, if you've enjoyed the podcast, sign up to the monthly newsletter, which is in the description below where I show you behind the scenes, I do giveaways, and offering you the chance of an adventure. My next guest is a filmmaker and adventurer, produced and presented the Channel 4's Extreme Tribe. She spent five months living with the Benjeli tribe out in the Congo, where she immersed herself with her family and became part of the tight-knit community there. On today's podcast, we talk about some of the differences in cultures between the Benjali tribe, along with her experience of five months living with them. It's a fascinating insight into the culture there, and I am delighted to introduce Livia Samoka to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. No worries. Well, I had to say I was absolutely fascinated with the story about the Benjeli tribe out in the Congo. And I really wanted to get you on to sort of talk more about that. Because for people listening, you you spent five months with this sort of remote tribe, which is cut off from Congo society or the Republic of Congo. Before we sort of jump into that, let's start with you and how you sort of got into this sort of line of work and these sort of adventures. Mm. So I've, um, you know, I've never sort of set out to be a TV presenter and that's not the sort of background that I've come from. So I first and foremost have always been a filmmaker specializing in sort of adventure and anthropology documentaries. And um, I was a 
couple of years ago, well, a few, be about three years ago now, I was out in Siberia working on a project about uh, woolly mammoths and the Ice Age and was out there with a bunch of tusk hunters trying to find these incredible woolly uh, rhino and woolly mammoth remains. And as part of it, it was a big recce trip, had to do a bit of filming and um, to sort of, you know, explain to the broadcaster and the powers that be what we were looking at and um the woman at the time who was the controller of channel four woman called jay hunt saw it and said oh livia's like really good on camera should we ask if she's interested in presenting something and it isn't really anything that i'd ever thought about but the thing that i have you know been passionate about for years and that i've spent many years making are sort of anthropology programs and um and the first thing that sprung to mind was that I've always wanted to go and live with a tribe and one tribe in particular that I'd sort of had on my, my radar for about five years were the Benjeli. And I'd found out about them through um, an anthropologist at UCL that I've been you know, speaking to for years about various different tribes and indigenous cultures. And I was just really, really fascinated uh, with their way of life. And I'd sort of spent probably about five years pitching them to various commissioning editors um, in various disguises, trying to get a project off the ground. Um, that could allow me to go and spend time with them. And um, and also what, like, another thing was that, you know, all the projects that I make, I start from a very early development stage. So I always think of them, get the sort of money from a broadcaster to make them, then go and visit them on the ground, work out what who the people are that we're going to film with and then tell the stories. And as part of that, I've been trying to find a sort of female Bruce Parry or adventurer for years but as you well know the that whole genre is is quite male white middle class ex-army and uh and so yeah I mean the first thing that I thought of was like I want to go and live with a tribe I want to go and spend time with the Vangeli and thankfully um you know the channel agreed and after the various hoops that you jump through I've set off and yeah, got out there. Good. And so how did it sort of, how did they sort of take to it? Because you were there for five months filming. I suppose um, it was very much, you know, they were going to be filmed. Their lives were going to be opened up to the world. How did they sort of take to that? So I, um, it was, it was five months. Well, it was actually six months, but we broke it down into three chunks. Uh, in order to come back and change crew and have various medical checks done. So I went out there for the very, very first time to um, go and meet with the tribe and to basically ask for their permission to go and live there. That's something that, well, we filmed a bit of it, but it never made it as part of the programme. But it was really to go and introduce myself and say, look, this is me. This is what I would love to do and really seek their permission and also find the family that I was going to go and live with, which was Akaya and Mama and, you know, the people that you see in the documentary uh, and then went back out there and did it. It was actually six months that was sort of time on the ground, but broke it up into three two month chunks. Um, and they were... I mean, they were you know, absolutely incredible at the way they just opened up and allowed 
us to capture their lives and I think a lot of that was also you know it took a it wasn't overnight it took a little bit of time as it always does when you're filming with anybody to gain their trust and to really become part of the family and part of the greater community but they were incredibly open with and just you know there was no sort of um sort of putting on an act or anything like that yeah because I suppose that was probably one of the questions I was quite intrigued to find out was because suddenly they had camera crew because I imagine it was you and what two or three others or one other there was a little group of us so there was you know four translators because everything had to be translated through two languages um, so there was, you know, from English to Lingala, which is the Congolese national language, and then into Benjeli, which is the tribal language. So it had to go through two ways. And then a director who was also cameraman, and then a producer who was working with the translators. Um, and then we also had a, a sort of remote location trauma medic because we were a good sort of two, three days away from the nearest medical facility and the nearest road access so you know in case there was an emergency we needed somebody that could administer sort of remote trauma sort of assistance um but they yeah because they hadn't really seen cameras before a lot of the time at the beginning was we actually would give them the camera so that they could film each other and then play bits back to them because they were just so fascinated with these big devices that we were carrying around and you know what the heck we were doing so actually it was quite fun for them to just have a look at uh, sort of them filming each other and I, su- I suppose with that it was how do you feel that it was sort of authentic because in terms of having that big camera crew following you and following them did they ever play up to it or was it very much they just almost there was a wall between that where they just didn't even think about the cameras. It was just all very real. Yeah, it was really real. And because I think a lot of the time, you know, if you if you think about how long we were there and compared to the three 46-minute programmes that you see on TV, there were many days where we would just sit around and not film. And we'd always have a camera nearby but I'd say the majority of the time we were there and we weren't really filming or we'd go out into the forest, you know, gathering food or sitting around chatting or preparing food or going around the village, chatting to people and bonding with people um, and just really becoming part of the community so that when things then did happen, it was really natural to just pick up a camera and film and we weren't this sort of odd ones out observing a situation because we were we were such a big part of that community how um in a sort of community that which is cut off from the world and western world how are the sort of individual roles of women and men within a sort of that community what were the sort of differences between, let's say, the Western world and the Benjeli tribe in terms of the roles? Yeah, yeah. Well, the Benjeli are known as one of the most egalitarian societies in the world. Um, so men and women are, and men, women, children of all ages have a real equal standing, which means, but that, but then 
roles are still divided. So men were very much in charge of hunting, women would take charge of the gathering and more of the food preparation, but then both men and women, depending on when, where and when they were around, would raise the children and, you know, sort of play with them. And, and, and actually, even in arguments, that would sometimes, as you see in the programme, get very physical. There was no sort of like distinction between you're a man or you're a woman. It's which is you know quite incredible to see really. And kids that if they weren't happy or they'd had an argument with somebody in the family, they would just go and sleep somewhere else in the village. They would just move out of the home for a bit. There was an argument between neighbours that got nasty. One family might just decide, oh, I'm going to take off and I'm going to go into the forest for a while and when I come back, everything's sort of passed. Yeah, because I, I watched it and I suppose it, what, what was very noticeable is that they'd have these full-blown arguments and then a moment later, they were all friends again. They are, they are like the Benjellis are absolute masters at living in the moment. They really like they're the epitome of living in the moment because also they don't, um, you know, they don't measure distance or duration or time. They don't that most of them can't count above three. And so they so when you'd ask them, you know, how far away is something or we'd go somewhere, they'd be like, it's not very far away. And then three, four hours later, you're still walking through the rainforest you're like, you know, are we nearly there? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're nearly there. Another two hours later, you're still walking. It's, they don't measure anything. It's because to them, so like well, I'm going off on one now, but eventually you'd work out not very far away as you can get there and back in a day. Fairly far away is it's an overnight and quite far away means you're gone for multiple days. Um, but they really, um, you know, they really live in the moment so that when you're having a row with somebody, the row is happening there and then and then when the row ends it's sort of forgotten about and the same if they're having a great time and a great night or a party and they don't want it to end there's never ever a case of like oh well I don't know it's two o'clock in the morning now and you've got to get up for work or you've got to go and uh, you know hunt a monkey it's more like we're having a great time we don't want it to end until somebody is knackered and they're going to fall asleep there and then you know like they they really live in the moment with their emotion and what is the sort of day-to-day life of of the people there because if there's no time i suppose they wake up at sunrise and go to bed at sunset in a sense i mean they they definitely don't always go to bed at sunset because they really (laughs) they do like a good knees up but um life always does begin in the morning at sunrise and um you know their life is centered around food and putting you know food on the plate for everyone within the family but that means that kids have to go and pull their weight or get dragged along to go and you know forage for whatever might be in season or you know help the women go fishing or if the men want to go out hunting Uh, but it is a sort of case of sitting around and just in the morning around the fire and working out who is going to do what but that is what life would centre around and actually in terms of number out number of hours that they work is actually not very much because they would go out into the forest and be back again within 
you know, two, three hours because they are expert hunter-gatherers um, and then be back preparing food, gossiping and chatting, uh, having a row with the neighbours or whatever it might be. Um, so in terms of their working hours, they're so much shorter than, than the hours that we do here. Obviously, much more physically demanding, but, um, but yeah. Did you find there were a lot of sort of similarities between the tribes and the sort of Western culture of, you know, gossiping and... Because there, there was one clip which I saw, well, the one bit that sort of I took was the idea of women in the tribe think it's really attractive to file their teeth down to just a, a point, whereas you know in western society that's not really done and then probably what they thought was what you would think is normal in western society was very much frowned upon in their society of course yeah and but you know like what is beauty you know over there beauty means filing your teeth and they would sort of ask us well what's you know what's beautiful in your country what do you do and and we had got into a really interesting conversation where we explained well that some people actually make a cut underneath their boobs and they put things in there to make their boobs bigger and they were just horrified they were absolutely horrified that we would do something like that or that there's people that would inject things to make their lips bigger or like that we would pour hot wax on our bits or our intimate bits of hair and rip it out. I mean, they just couldn't believe that. They thought it was the most barbaric thing they'd ever heard. And yet to us, the idea of obviously filing teeth isn't exactly uh, attractive, you know. <laughs> Well, I have to say, when I was watching it, I was sort of there with my mouth, hand over my mouth, just being like, oh, I can't even see it. I know, but imagine if that they saw, because we showed them, for some reason, somebody had some pictures on their phone, you know, showed them pictures of somebody having a nose job done. I mean, when you really think about it. Who has a video of someone having a nose job on their phone? <laughs> It's a long story, but uh, but also like, you know, pictures of fake boobs and things like that, that when you actually tell an outsider that that's what is deemed beautiful in certain cultures, they thought it was complete madness. Good. And what was the sort of moment where she will sort of take away from that sort of five months there? Um, I think the, the sort of the biggest thing, hands down, is this, like, living in the present moment a lot more and not obsessing about where you are in life or trying to measure that against what you should have achieved or that like oh god you know late 30s should be married you should have kids should have won a BAFTA by now or whatever it might be <laughs> is that like what does it really matter why have, why measure yourself against what other people are doing uh, and just really embrace the moment a lot more i think that was like one of the biggest takeouts for me yeah i think everyone can be very it can be very easy to look at other people and think that they've got you know life figured out but what you really find is that everyone's in the same boat thinking what what are they doing and that sort of endless thing of trying to what's the word you have this sort of idea that you're way way behind of where you should be and actually actually you're 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 doing just fine and some people you know 
they hit it when they're 30, they hit it when they're 40 in some people. You know, rise up when they're 20 and fall away when they're 30. It doesn't really matter. Everyone's going at their own pace. Exactly, yeah, because they don't know, like, you know, age or time. So nobody puts any measure on, oh, well, you must achieve this or I must hunt the biggest monkey that I've ever hunted within the next week. You know, they just, they just don't <laughs> think like that at all, um, which, uh, yeah, which I really like. And also another thing that I really love about their way of life is that they they only ever take what they need. You know, they, their life is very min- minimalistic in terms of their possessions and they don't put a lot of, I mean, they do want for things, but their, their life is very minimal, you know, so there isn't this constant desire to sort of have more and order more or have too many supplies they only ever really take from the forest exactly what they need and um and that's like another thing that I guess I've walked away from of going I'm really happy in my life and I don't need to go and buy two three pairs of you know these jeans or that dress or I don't need to have a fridge that's really fully stocked but only really ever having what I need right now that makes sense yeah no of course i i I completely agree it's this idea of well you know in the western world it's very much consumer driven and so you i think a lot of people have this sort of keeping up with the joneses mentality yeah i hate it like that's that's, Um, yeah that's such a big thing of just like just be really content with actually making your life a lot more simple and stripping it right back and going, I'm going to use something until it's completely broken and I can't use it anymore and then I'll replace it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was I, I was wearing my fleece, which I had in 2007 from university, and it's still got, like, the Edinburgh logo and everything. I was like, ah, oh, it still does me brilliantly. No, no need to change it. <laughs> I love that. I think that's, like, yeah. I think a lot of people can learn something from that way of life of just don't need to have all these things and so with the documentary that came out on channel four how was it sort of viewed or taken by the public yeah it was really it was actually really well received i was obviously at the time do you know what it was not long after you know stacy dooley had a bit of an incident with the picture of that that whole white savior thing that got banded about a bit i was you know i did obviously have concerns when it went out thinking god shit what's it going to look like a you know very white woman going to live with an african tribe um but actually i didn't you know didn't have any criticisms in that regard with at all um and i think yeah i was just it's really overall really really positive feedback from it i think what i what i loved about it was you were just there to learn we had benedict allen on a few episodes back and he very much deals with this sort of immersive documentary style where you just you're not there to say oh you should be doing this you should be doing that it's i'm not there to preach yeah, exactly. You're just there to to observe and you're you're just a fly on the wall observing, learning and understanding. 
I think that's probably why it was so well received was you were very much embracing it, not not trying to influence if you know what I mean yeah no definitely and I think but do you know what that was tough as well because um I was there for such a long time and they and became part of the family and part of the community and they were you know they became my friends the people that I was living you know I was I mean for god's sake I turned up and asked somebody can I come and sleep on the floor of your bedroom for the next five months and they welcomed me with open arms I mean I'm not sure I'd react like that if some random person just rocked up at my house and asked to do that um but they welcomed me with open arms and so obviously I became friends with all the people in the village and which as a documentary maker you are there to observe it but of course after such a long time and forming personal relationships you do get sort of drawn into arguments and you form opinions and when behavior is right or wrong and so you know in, in episode two I think there was the big fight that was sort of ended up breaking up a little bit because and I was worried about that when that went out, thinking, God, I'm just people going to think that I went there and started interfering in people's lives. But actually, it was just a gut reaction that when one of your friends is in a fight, you, you, you want to help out, you know. But fortunately, that sort of, you know, wasn't taken out of context. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's always the trouble nowadays. And I mean, did you have... In terms of the editing process, did you have any say on it? Well, because I was, because it was edited in stages, because there were three different directors, because trying to get one director to come and do the whole stint would have um, been impossible. So, um, whenever the fir- you know, whenever they came back home, they started editing it already. By which point, I was because I'd only come back for like a week or whatever, and then I'd be back out on location, and. Um, so I didn't actually see the program. I wasn't actually editorially involved in deciding what would be in the program and what 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 should and what shouldn't be in the program, which ordinarily I would do. Um, and so by the time I saw the programs, they were right near the end. And uh, but actually, it, you know, there was so, we filmed so much and there were so many stories that just never made it into the programme that because I'm so close to it would have been really, really hard to make that decision. I, I, do you sort of keep in touch or do you are you heading back out there again? No, I'd, I mean, I'd love to go out, um, but they are it's impossible to keep in touch with them because they, yeah, you know, they, they, they're a lot like, you know, a, a lot of other tribes now have mobile phones. And got even I, work, I spent a lot of time with the Hamar tribe in Ethiopia and a load of them have got mobile. They're all on Facebook. Um, but the Ben Jelly are so cut off that they there's not a single person that had a mobile phone or they don't have an address as such. And they're still semi nomadic. So trying to even write a letter to them and uh, not that they can read but is sort of impossible so the only way to really try and uh you know get in touch with them would be to go and visit and is to turn up and sadly the last year has not really been possible and is the plan to do another style documentary like this uh, I don't know. Um, again, with you know, COVID in the last year, sort of things got turned on their head a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I'll wait and see what happens. In terms of sort of preparing for that sort of 
um, five month stint. Did you learn the language or did you read up quite a lot about the tribe beforehand? Yeah, so um, I the language is really, really difficult to learn. Um, and but I did speak to a couple of anthropologists that had done their thesis with the Benjeli, which is how I found out about them through the, the professor at UCL and um, sort of, you know, would get basic bits of language from them to just be, be able to say hello and how are you or good morning and good evening because obviously when you're living with somebody and sleeping on the floor of their hut you quite like to be able to say good morning when you you wake up um and then with time I picked up bits of the language but I was by no means fluent because yeah I, I'd have thought um with that especially learning a sort of tribal language after five months because you've probably got uh, English speaking camera career must have been quite sort of difficult but in terms of immersing yourself you probably picked up quite a lot up by the end of your five month stint yeah exactly and also because you know the crew were in a sort of separate crew area and I was with the family and so there were days and hours that I was just on my own with them so I'd say like it's probably about not less than 50% of the time but I'd sp- I would spend huge chunks of time just on my own with various people in the village and members of my family which then sort of pushed me to learn the language a bit more just so that I could communicate on a, a very basic level. I suppose what's the one thing that you probably are, would you say the one thing that you've taken from it is living in the moment or was there something else which you've sort of taken back with you to try and embrace on a sort of day-to-day? Yeah I think that and the sort of trying to be a bit more simple with life and you know using things until they're on their last legs and just trying not to be such a great big consumer and in terms of your other projects you've done because you've done the woolly mammoth uh you've done polar bears polar bears yeah woolly mammoth. sort of been all over the world doing these sort of expeditions and your focus is very much on well actually when i say that you're those two are animals but it's more on the sort of indigenous tribes and indigenous communities around the world that's right yeah yeah i've done stuff with various uh, indigenous communities in Alaska and um, Hamar tribe in Ethiopia did a big project with them and uh, created uh, probably about seven eight years ago series that um, we do with Ben Fogel called New Lives in the Wild which is about uh, which is on channel five which is about people who've sort of quit the rat race moved to the back of beyond and tend to live a quite subsistence you know life off the land um and that's sort of taken 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 us all over the world so yeah it's various things like that and i did a series following the great migration through the serengeti and the masai mara um and that involved bits and something with the hadza tribe so yeah oh wow what in terms of the migration of what the wildebeest or yeah that was the wildebeest and then so we followed them for a year uh but we collared a it was about eight or not eight or nine wildebeest and followed them through the whole course of the migration through the serengeti and the masai mara over the course of the year and checking in with them at different points um on the route and then looking at how humans sort of you know interact and how their lives um sort of intermingle 
well in terms of the crossover between the expansive population in that area and it's you know with other conservation projects or uh with the maasai and the whole lion hunting and how that sort of whole circle of life ties in together but told through the eyes of the wildebeest on the migration wow yeah it's it's an amazing part of the world out there yeah love it absolutely love it <laughs> and yeah you've just been out in kenya i saw yeah I was just out in Kenya for a couple of months and that was working on a few development projects which, uh, you know, let's see what happens. But yeah, there's a great Hemingway quote actually that's, uh, what is it? I never knew of a morning in Africa where I woke up and I wasn't happy. And I think that's so true. It's, uh, yeah, it, it was one it, of these country, like you know, continents where you wake up, and I don't know what it is, whether it's the the smell or the sights and the sounds, and and you just always like wake up with a bit of a smile on your face. I think it's the quote on my one of my YouTube videos, which is like, "I envy the man who hasn't, hasn't been, been to, on, Af- yeah. <laughs> to Africa because he has so much to look forward to." Exactly. Yeah, I love that. It's so true. <laughs> no, it's um. It's such an amazing place. So you know what? I, I had this thing. I had a year where I was like in and out of Africa the whole year on different projects. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, God, you know what? I'm going to have a break from Africa for a while. I need a break because, you know, there's this like Africa time and you know what it's like. There's just it's, it's also a total nightmare to try and work in. And, uh, but yet, lo and behold, after a good six to eight months, I was like itching to get back there. Yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful part of the world. And yeah, as soon as I have the opportunity to go back, I most certainly will. Do it. Well, I have to say, this the story of you in the uh, with the tribe has just been absolutely incredible and um, so 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 fascinating because very different and yeah, not many people really get the opportunity to do something like that. Mm, yeah, no, I was so, it's like so lucky, and it's one of those things that if I got the chance to do it again and you know sort of relive it all over again. I absolutely would. And that's one of those things in hindsight. It's like, oh, did I appreciate it enough at the time? And it's like you want to just soak up every moment. Uh, well, Livia, there's a part of the show where we ask the same five questions to each guest each week with the first being on these sort of trips. What's the one gadget that you always take with you? So I like I really dislike gadgets. I am... Um, like technologically an absolute sort of moron I I barely I barely know how to work my mobile phone I I sometimes need help turning the tv on I'm like I'm really really bad with gadgets and technology of any sort uh so I I'm quite anti-gadget I'm afraid uh does a toothbrush count I can't go to sleep till I've but I can't go to sleep till I brush my teeth so I'd say like my gadget has to be the, my toothbrush that's perfect works every time a definite must a definite must on every adventure which I'm sure people always might forget to take yeah there's that but any sort of other gadgets and garmins or sat phones I'm like oh no I'd rather just cut off from it all and uh, <laughs> work it out as long as I can brush my teeth I'm happy 
Yeah, we were discussing, I think, a few episodes back and saying, I I, I don't like people knowing what I'm doing at the time, if you know what I mean. It's, you know, these people who have like a tracker so you can see exactly where they are at every, any given point. I don't point. want to be I'm tracked. Just like, <laughs> yeah, ter- it terrifies me. I'd rather just sort of get out and sort of immerse yourself into whatever trip or experience you're doing and you can just completely shut off because you know as soon as you get back into normal i don't know life then you're almost you're plugged back in and to sort of switch off for a few days a week or so it's just so blissful definitely and i think i don't know about you but for me that's the great point about going off on an adventure is to sort of just turn it all off and you know go and explore or go on the journey or wherever that you are going on and switch off from the world and that's what when I'm on a production that's the things that I and I'm you know you know sort of directing whatever and have to keep in touch with the office that's probably like my weak point is keeping everyone updated as to what you're doing because I'm like oh I love the bubble that we're in where no one knows what we are or where we are or what we're doing and then you've got to go with Patricia from HR and talk about some health and safety or go and report to legal (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, don't like that. What about your favourite adventure or travel book? My favourite adventure or travel book? Mm. Do you know what? I do love a good, uh, a good, and like there's the, what's it called? The Mammals of Southern Africa book. I love that okay. book. Any sort of encyclopedia or dictionary that tells me what a little biog of the creature. Um, yeah, I love that probably that's that would be my go-to book that I take everywhere something that that I can do a bit of learning on the way why are adventures important to you I am one of these people I get very itchy feet quite very quickly when I haven't escaped and uh I think it's just for my like mental health is just to go somewhere and experience a new place explore a new area meet new people and cultures and find out what makes them tick and how life works for them and uh you know just yeah different smells and sights and sounds and just getting out of the the world that you know yeah that's just like sort of what what makes life for me why is it important for you oh good uh no one's ever repeated the question to me i've never <laughs> why is it important to me it's a hard question uh, it is a hard question if, like if that's what you live for and if that's your passion and your excitement and like for me that's what gives me like like my buzz and a spark in my eyes to go out and that there's sort of entering the unknown I mean, I'm going on an adventure, what, in two days' time, and I don't think anything gets me quite as excited as planning it, getting all the sort of gear laid out. I mean, I don't know, you can see on my bed, I've got everything sort of laid out behind me um, in the next door room, all the kits sort of ready to go, and I don't know, there's just such a buzz about it. It gets me so fired up. And then as, as we were saying earlier, it's... 
it's that idea of disconnecting. Uh, you know, connecting. Ill, Ill connecting. Connecting bit of with both. nature or where you are and disconnecting from all the bullshit out here. <laughs> yeah, and for me, it's I don't know. I'm I'm going paddleboarding down the River Seven, and the excitement of just standing on a board, sitting on a board, and just drifting down the River Seven, which will probably be freezing cold, but. I don't know, there's just something so exciting, so refreshing about the whole experience. And it just make whether it's difficult, whether it's hard, and the harder the better, because I sort of feel with more challenge and more adversity, you only grow as a person. And by putting yourself into those difficult spots and challenging yourself, you will only grow as a person. Whereas if you just stay in your comfort zone, eventually you'll I don't know, get very, very bored and become very, very and miserable. And stuck in your ways. Yeah. Like, what I and really like, and I think this all the time, before I go off on, like, a big expedition or just, like, or do you, or do you know what? Even, like, a random weekend away somewhere, doesn't it, it can be the smallest of expeditions for a day out to uh, uh, climbing up a mountain or something or a month-long you know, adventure somewhere is I always have it on the way there. I'm like, stuff's going to happen. I don't know what it is, but I know right now that come the end of this expedition, I'm going to be a slightly different person. And I don't know why, like, I don't know yet what's going to happen, who I'm going to meet or how it's going to fall, change the core of me, but it will in some way. And I love that, like the unknown what uh, what about your favourite quote? Favourite quote? This is really hard because I love a quote. Um, but I am uh, I'm obsessed with Eckhart Tolle. I love him. The Power of Now. Everyone needs to read it. It's like it's my bible. It's such a brilliant book. And I, it was actually post um, Congo that I got really really into him when I started getting more into like you know living in the sort of present moment more and being more mindful and all of that. And uh, and he, I mean, he's got so many incredible quotes, but one of my favourites is uh, say yes to the present moment and surrender to what is. And I love that. And it's just about being sort of like, you know, the present moment is all that you've got. And even when things are going, oh, and there's another bit, a quote that he says that I love, which is, what is the problem now? So it's like, even when shit is going wrong, it's like, okay, but what actually is the problem right now? And and even when it's all going wrong, it's learning to live in acceptance of it and sort of like accepting it as if you've chosen the situation and then either doing something about it or accepting it. And uh, yeah, I really like that. You know, I think that goes back to why adventures are important because you become very more adaptable to things going wrong. Mm, definitely. And like sometimes I quite embrace things when they don't go, when it's not plain sailing. It just yeah. you a bit, makes you think on your feet. There's nothing more boring than a story that goes, we went and did this and it all worked fine. And then we came back. Yeah. I mean, it's so much... It's such a rewarding story when something goes a bit tits up. You know, I remember like one of the Congo trips, 
we got out there and it's a nightmare you know getting to the village and we got there and it was pissing it down with rain and we were trying out us helping the crew try and put tents up and keep everything dry and then everyone pretty much they all ended up sleeping in one tent for the first night because they couldn't get anything else up and stuff was getting washed away and and like in hindsight it was very much uh you know it's type two fun um and in hindsight it makes such a better story <laughs> type two yeah, fun's often a better story What's that? Type 2 fun makes for a better story. So type 1 fun is in the moment when you're having a great time and this is the best time ever and in hindsight it'll still be the best time ever. Type 2 fun is when you're doing something and it goes a bit wrong and you're not having a great time but actually in hindsight it was amazing and it makes for a brilliant story and type 3 fun is when it's really shit at the time and in hindsight it's still shit. But but that's quite rare that that yeah. happens. I mean, yeah, I I definitely say type two is the best um, because, as you say, that's all the best stories come from type twos. Definitely. So people listening are always keen to go on these sort of adventures and travel. What would you recommend for people wanting to get started? Um, just do it. Stop overthinking it and you know just get on with it stop talking about it stop like boring everyone with what you're going to do and just book a flight get on a train jump in the car set off on your two feet and just do it like it drives me mad sometimes when people are like oh I'm gonna do this and I'm I want to do this and this and that and sometimes obviously understand that it might be you know reasons finances that they can't do it right now but I do think that if you're somebody that enjoys an adventure and an expedition, there are things also that you can do that don't cost very much. And I think it's just get out there and do it and don't overthink it. And and if you are scared of it, then that's good. Embrace the fear, you know, laugh into the face of the fear and just crack on with it. I think there was a quote that said, if, it, if it's exciting, if you are wait i'm gonna butcher this if it scares you and excites you at the t- same time you should probably do it absolutely yeah and there's like oh it's in that uh baz lerman song is it or do something every day that scares you is that off that song i might have just got that i'm not sure what what's the song there's you know there's always wear sunscreen you're gonna to have to sing it. I'm no, not sure. I'm not. I'm a really bad singer. You're gonna to have to listen to it. I'll send it to you on Spotify. But um, but yeah, do something every day that scares you. If you're a bit scared of it or you're dreading it, then even more so reason to do it. So yeah, my advice would be is just to just just do it. Get on with it. Stop talking about it and just do it. Yeah. And there are, actually, there's so many small or even big adventures to be had in the UK or around, wherever you are, local. I'm going on one in a few days, which is, uh, you know, a week long. And then there's Nick Butter, who was on the podcast, who at the moment is trying to become the quickest person to run around the UK. Wow, that's cool. Again, I think it's going to take about six or eight weeks. Amazing. Uh, So double marathons every day for 100 days is quite something. That's going to hurt. Yeah, so, I mean, for people listening, I probably wouldn't recommend that as a start. No. But I run into your next door town or 20 miles away or something. Yeah, or even just like, you know, if you like 
walking is just like go and I don't know even if it takes three four hours to get there just set off and do it Finally, what are you doing now and how can people follow you in the future? I am currently working on a bunch of uh, development projects um, for various different documentaries, uh, both in front of and behind the camera. And uh, yeah, let's see what happens. Hopefully, sort of, you know, the world is slowly starting to open up a bit, which and, you know, foreign travel and foreign filming is sort of on the horizon. So, yeah, let's see what I can't really talk about anything sort of in particular that I'm doing. But um, yeah, let's see what happens in the next six months. All kept hush hush. Yeah, it's just like nothing's, you know, signed off and in various uh, chats at the minute. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to your stories. Thank you very much and good luck on your uh, mission. Thank you for listening. You can watch the podcast on YouTube now and don't forget to sign up for our adventure newsletter, which is in the description below. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, tag me on Instagram at John Horsfall. I'm always keen to connect with everyone. I hope to see you next week for another fascinating tale of adventure. But till then, have a great day, and happy adventures. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.